welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. First, I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice. And what works for one may not work for all. Welcome to season three of Misunderstood. Happy New Year. In our previous episode, we explored the history of New Year's resolutions, the research behind why so many of us fail with our traditional style resolutions, and learned about a newer way of approaching the new year with a simple yearly intention instead of a traditional New Year's resolution or list of resolutions. I hope the episode was helpful for you and that you've landed on a concise intention to act as a theme of guidance for you this year that represents what you'd most like to achieve in the year to come. If you haven't landed on an intention yet, this week we're going to look at the latest research on hope and optimism and how a strong orientation towards optimism can help us when facing any sort of adversity, whether it be with our health, livelihood, or relationships. My gratitude this week is for the gift of silent focused reflection. While I've always been a highly reflective person, especially since my job for decades was designing reflective practices for educators, silent focused reflection has been elusive to me most of my life, due in large part to my excessive drivenness to do and be more, and my nonstop monkey brain. For this extreme multitasker, it has taken the better part of last year to learn how to be a dedicated single tasker and to reap the beautiful benefits of this focused practice. I chose this gratitude for today for two reasons. One, because this newer skill set has allowed me to access peace in times of recent crisis like never before. And two, because this skill helped me arrive at what is, for me, a very unique yearly intention for myself in 2022. As someone who has dedicated my life since my MS diagnosis to researching MS and trying to find solutions for all of us to be able to live better with MS, I have by now at least dabbled in pretty much every realm of possibility for healing. And for me, I have clarity that the next step for healing is very much dependent on my emerging mental wellness. Learning how my past impacts my now and potentially my future, how I can replace dysfunctional, outdated malware in my brain with healthier thought pathways, and how I can better learn to listen to and trust the voice within to lead me to better health. By looking back at the last two seasons, 49 episodes, to see where we've been on the misunderstood journey together, 
We've covered a lot, and there are a good 10 to 12 episodes already in progress to cover some of the topics I haven't yet published, which you will want to hear, like cranial sacral therapy, vagus nerve health, dentistry and MS, central nervous system 101, and MS cognitive struggles and solutions. Those episodes, amongst others, I'm committed to releasing this year, as well as launching a Writing to Heal journaling opportunity available to all Flock members beginning in February, where we'll try out many of the neuroplasticity journaling prompts I've collected from various expert sources over the past year to help us write healthier pathways in our brains. I'll share more about this opportunity in an upcoming episode, but for now, be thinking if that might interest you. This year will be an exciting journey for us, and I'm grateful we continue to be on this journey together, as weathering the turbulence of living with MS is so much easier when we're in it together. As I mentioned, being able to achieve silent focused reflection this past year illuminated an opportunity for me to dive deeply into an area this year that I have previously left untouched, my soul, and how my relationship with my soul impacts my overall health. This year, rather than dedicating myself toward living a particular way starting day one, it's going to be a journey in and of itself an intentional peeling of one layer at a time, going deeper and deeper as I spelunk and excavate the intricacies of my soul. This year, I will develop a healthy stewardship of my soul. It will be my soul cycle. Nope, not a hipster spin class, but a 365 day journey around the sun focused on exploring the depth of my soul as a means of future healing and intentional, peaceful living. Why stewardship? Well, stewardship is defined as the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. As a long-term lover of the natural world, and in fact, a degree in parks and natural resource management with a specialty in environmental education, I've always seen myself as a steward of the land. But I had never until now applied stewardship to self-care, and certainly not in terms of a way to better nourish and cultivate future authenticity and growth in my soul. And why the soul? Well, the soul is said to consist of three parts, the mind, the will, and the emotion. And the more I learn about MS, at least my unique case of MS, the more I realize just how much my soul seems to be the linchpin, the lever, for a much-needed mindset and soul-set shift. It is said that our souls hold the key to transformation, and that we can learn to awaken and heal our souls to access inner powers we may have lost or forgotten. Our soul's power is passion, intuition, creativity, and connection with the divine. Regardless of our spiritual path or religion, we can access the power of our soul to create a life worth living. To first learn about the intricacies of my soul, I will respectfully engage in a powerful process deeply embedded in the culture of the Aboriginal peoples of the Daly River region in the Northern Territory of Australia. It's called Dadri, and Dadri is defined as inner deep listening and quiet still awareness and waiting. 
This work will include readings like deep listening, a healing practice to calm your body, clear your mind, and open your heart. Through this process, I'll be leaning into introspection, seeking guidance within more than from outside sources around me, and reconnecting with my innate spirituality and the natural world around me. This work will also include reading Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God, to reestablish my connection to God through nature and other pathways that emerge. I'll also be attempting to make the intentional shift from role to soul through reading The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul, to shift from outer work to inner work as I age with MS, and finally make the transition from living with a profession or work focus and desire to feel forever young to that of acceptance of the aging process and all that comes with it. Lastly, I'll be reading The Bondage Breaker to finally release unhealthy soul ties that I currently maintain in my life. To support my learning through the year, I've established daily practices to support this critical soul work, planned explicit clearing and claiming rituals for each month of the year, and placed relevant totems around my home and on my body in the form of calendars, art, quotes, and jewelry to constantly remind me of my yearly intention. So today, I'm grateful for this newer gift of silent, focused reflection, and I'm excited for 2022, the year I will swim in the deep end of my soul and truly learn to listen and fully trust the voice within. Even if you don't have your yearly intention in place for 2022 just yet, Hopefully, hearing about mine illuminated even more possibilities for you. And if nothing is emerging yet, I invite you to consider some iteration of today's topic, hope and optimism. With hope and optimism as a central theme or through line to consider, this year could very well be the year you finally achieve a goal important to you. And through this episode today, you'll see how hope and optimism are universally helpful, like a skeleton key to unlocking our potential to improve our health and live well with MS. Hope and optimism matter when thinking about a yearly intention. I recently did a lot of research on the topic because I've finally come to peace with the fact that a very important relationship in my life might not ever embody the understanding, compassion, and depth that I crave. While I vehemently refuse to give up hope that it might one day be more aligned with how I'd like it to be, I've also finally internalized the hard truth that we can't change or help others out of their despair. And even though we might like to be helpful in this way, it's not our job to help others change. Our job is to be our best selves and be an exemplar of what we believe in. You might recall from an earlier episode the concept of me so that we. Sure, we can and should support people once they are themselves committed to change, but taking on the responsibility to help get them there when they themselves are not interested in change is like the popular saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. 
I wanted to research hope and optimism because I have historically been a very optimistic person. And while I really like these aspects of my personality, what I've learned more recently is that there's quite a lengthy spectrum of both hope and optimism. And there are some potential pitfalls that are really important to be aware of where the healthy can dip into the unhealthy. First, we'll look at hope. Hope is defined by Wikipedia as an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect of events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. Hope is a lovely sentiment, yet it's important to acknowledge and be able to spot its cousin twice removed, unrealized hope which is hope that is unrealistic and unable to be actualized. Hope that is held onto, especially over a long period of time, which can be the root cause of depression. So being aware of the type of hope we are holding onto or projecting as desire for the future is really important. It is this unrealized hope that I have held onto for a lifetime, or at least since my earliest memories, and I have finally come to peace with, and gratefully after a lot of journaling, reflection, and prayer, have been able to finally let go of this divisive and corrosive aspect of hope. I recently came across a related term made popular in the cryptocurrency world that I found charming, hopium. Hopium is a portmanteau. A portmanteau is a literary term first used by Humpty Dumpty and Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass. It's a word that is formed by combining two different words to create a new word. By blending the sounds and meanings of two existing words, we create a new word that is truly a linguistic blend of the original two words in both sound and meaning. Some popular examples of portmanteaus are ginormous, which is a combination of gigantic and enormous, affluenza, which is a combination of affluence and influenza, bionic, a combination of biology and electric, brunch, a combination of breakfast and lunch, or bromance, a combination of brothers and romance to describe a close relationship between two men. Hopium is a portmanteau of hope and opium and is defined by Urban Dictionary as a metaphorical substance that can cause us to believe in false hope. It's often used in tandem with the portmanteau copium, a blend of cope and opium, which describes the rationalization of the current situation, whereas hopium describes the belief that the situation will one day improve. In the cryptocurrency world, Hopium is most often used when the feelings of traders are mostly based on pure speculation and not actual fundamentals. So, when we look toward the future optimistically, we want to make sure we're truly harnessing the power of authentic and healthy hope. So, how do we do this? In simplest terms, to ensure our hope is healthy and authentic, we must ensure that our hope is built on our own personal opportunity and responsibility to shape the quality of our future and not at all be dependent on someone else's actions or beliefs. Jack Nelson Pallmeyer, author of Authentic Hope, It's the End of the World as We Know It, But Soft Landings Are Possible, he writes, 
The future depends on many factors, but includes our capacity to honestly face problems, to envision and embody alternatives, and to cultivate and sustain hope. Kathy Koch, author of Finding Authentic Hope and Wholeness, Five Questions That Will Change Your Life, teaches us that our five core needs as humans, security, identity, belonging, purpose, and competence, can be accessed by asking ourselves the following five questions. Who can I trust? Who am I? Who wants me? Why am I alive? And what do I do well? And that answering these five questions can help us to ensure that we meet our needs in healthy ways. She continues that if we meet even one of these five needs in unhealthy ways, it can easily seep over and negatively affect our other needs. Journaling these five questions help me sort through my feelings of hope, to untangle the web and decide to keep the healthy aspects of hope, and finally let go of the rest. Reading up on various aspects of hope has helped me better assess my hopes and ensure I maintain healthy hope hygiene in my life moving forward. Now, let's acknowledge that it's not easy to choose optimism or hope, especially if our natural tendency is to fall into cycles of despair frequently. I'm currently reading a great book by Donna Jackson Nakazawa, the Last Best Cure. And in this book, amongst other things, she talks about the science behind our negative thoughts, which by the way, is I believe such an important topic for us all that we'll have an entire episode dedicated to that very soon. But anyway, as relevant for today's thoughts, she writes about how our brains are historically wired to greet negative thoughts with Velcro, holding on to them tightly. Alternatively, our brains tend to greet positive thoughts with Teflon. They quickly slide off and are easily forgotten. Let's just think about that for a moment and how that might be true in your life. For instance, think about how easy it is for us to brush off compliments we receive versus how difficult it is to forget and move on from any criticism. We often choose to ruminate on those for days. By understanding this tendency for our human neurology and physiology, we can make different choices when we hear our internal thoughts and learn to better regulate them right away, shifting the balance in our brains to be more optimistic and positive, especially when facing adversity. And there are scientifically proven ways we can easily learn how to be more optimistic, even if that's far from our natural or historical disposition. So let's look at optimism. What is it? Optimism is defined as a mental attitude characterized by hope and confidence in success and a positive future. There are many factors that can impact our ability to be optimistic. Optimists in general expect good things to happen, whereas pessimists often expect less favorable outcomes. Optimists greet each day as a new opportunity for good things to happen, and when things don't go as planned, can easily pivot to a place of thinking that tomorrow will bring a better day. 
We'll look at all the health benefits of optimism in a moment. But before that, let's look at some popular indicators we can use to assess our current levels of optimism. As we look at these indicators, be gentle with yourself, but also be objectively thinking which ones ring true for you when you think about how you explain and rationalize your beliefs and the meaning around events that occur in your life. Optimists expect things will work out for the best, even if the road to get there is paved with hardship. They think the future looks bright, regardless of aspects of uncertainty. They see challenges as opportunities to learn from and believe that even hardships can result in good outcomes. They practice regular gratitude for the good things in life. They have a positive attitude about themselves and others. They understand that everyone makes mistakes and don't beat themselves up for mistakes or dwell on them. They hold belief that they will succeed even when faced with challenges. They don't let one bad day or event get them off track or swayed from their stance of positivity. And they constantly look for ways to maximize the good in life by taking advantage of opportunities that arise. So, where do you live on the spectrum of optimism? Are you happy with where you're at? Or are there areas in your life where you'd like to be better able to harness more optimism? And how can adopting an optimistic view help us? Our mood matters. An optimistic worldview is linked to many health benefits, such as 1. Increased longevity and quality of life. For instance, an interesting study of Hall of Fame baseball players showed the optimists in the group lived significantly longer than those who identified more as pessimistic in nature. When faced with adversity, cancer in this case, Optimistic breast cancer patients expressed a higher quality of life than more pessimistic and hopeless patients. Optimism is associated with a higher use of coping strategies and a positive affect. Optimists tend to pay more attention to positive information and can be defined as actively engaged, having the ability to reframe experiences in positive ways, and elicit robust problem-solving behaviors. On the other hand, a pessimistic approach tends to give more weight to negative information or experiences and resort to passivity, denial, or even avoidance strategies. Two, in addition to higher quality of life and longevity, research shows that optimists are able to achieve and maintain better physical health than pessimists. In fact, optimists showed a 50% lower risk of cardiovascular disease and significantly higher survival rates when facing cancer. A higher personal affiliation with pessimism is linked with higher rates of infectious disease, depleting health rates, and earlier mortality. 3. Optimists also experience lower stress levels than pessimists. They believe in their abilities and expect good things to happen, while seeing negative events as temporary setbacks. 
optimists are less risk adverse, which helps them generate even more positivity and opportunity in their lives. Since, as we learned from hockey champion Wayne Gretzky, we miss 100% of the shots we don't take. Optimists are also able to develop more effective coping skills. Research shows that optimists are more proactive in managing their stress, and because optimists put forth more proactive stress management strategies, they overall report being less stressed. Four, optimists also report better overall emotional health. An optimistic view and experiencing less stress allows for better overall emotional health. If this is an area you'd like to grow this year, I highly recommend CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, where we can learn powerful methods to reframe our thought processes. CBT has been shown to be even more effective and longer lasting than antidepressants in many cases, and this specific training enables us to better handle future setbacks we may face. Five. Optimists experience improved perseverance and goal achievement. Optimists perceive their successes as a result of their actions and efforts, which further fuels their fire, yet choose to see negative events as not being their fault and as isolated events or flukes, rather than predictors of even more hardship, like the snowball effect that many pessimists experience. Optimists don't give up as easily as pessimists and are more likely to achieve their goals because of it, even when faced with obstacles, setbacks, and other challenges. A relevant example I found helpful is when an optimist, for example, is awarded a promotion at work. They are far more likely to believe that the promotion was a natural result given their effort and job performance. On the other hand, if passed by this time around, an optimist might believe it just wasn't their time, or it was because they had a bad month, but this reflection results in even more drive to do better in the future. Whereas a pessimist may believe the promotion was just rare luck, rather than tied to their effort, and unlikely to happen again, regardless of their future job performance. And they may even stress themselves out more by believing that now with this promotion, there will be even more expectations. And if passed over, they would likely hold the belief that they weren't good enough or deserving. So, in a nutshell, Optimists see rejection or a negative outcome as a fluke, whereas pessimists see the positive outcome as a fluke. In another study, psychologist Martin Seligman analyzed sports teams in terms of their optimism and success rates. Optimistic teams created more positive synergy within their team structure and were able to perform better than more pessimistic teams. Another study took this even further, showing that when pessimistic athletes were led to believe they'd done worse than they actually had, they were actually more likely to perform less than stellar in the future as well. More optimistic athletes did not share this future performance vulnerability. I like to think about our MS flock in this way. When we fly together supporting one another with our personal health goals in an effort to live well with MS, we are more likely to achieve our goals. 
When reflecting on 2021 and setting my 2022 intention, I also wrote a blessing for us all, which I ran out of time to share at our last flock meeting since we were so engaged in sharing our gratitudes for 2021. So I'll share it here. My wish for us in 2022, may we fly like geese through the year to come together, uplifting one another as we strive to live well with MS. When one of us is hurting, may we link arms to support them in the special way only we can and help them find their way to a better place. And when we are the one hurting, may we be vulnerable and humble enough to ask for support. And most of all, may we continue to fly together this year, honking our encouragement for one another. So let's push pause for a moment for some introspection time. Which way do you tend to lean? Are you currently more of an optimist or pessimist? Which do you want to be moving forward? If you're like me and see the benefits of optimism and want to live life with robust amounts of hope and optimism, let's look now at ways to learn to increase our ability to navigate life in an optimistic way and how to harness the power of optimism when faced with adversity. Did you know that genetics plays a role in our ability to be optimistic? Research suggests that about 25% of our optimism levels are genetically predetermined. Socioeconomic status and other environmental variables can also have an impact in our ability to be an optimist. But before we fret and think we're doomed if pessimism reigns strong in our family tree, the really good news here is that experts agree we have control over the other 75% of our disposition. And even more good news, research shows three clear pathways to help us cultivate a more optimistic attitude, and they are more simple than you might think. Even if you're thinking that you're too much of a habitual pessimist to change at this point, learned optimism is a real thing. As we know from Carol Dweck, author of Mindset, our brains are malleable, and contrary to popular belief, even old dogs can learn new tricks. By thinking about our reactions to adversity in a new way and challenging our negative self-talk, we actually can very much learn new ways of being. And these new ways of being can have incredibly positive impacts on both our mental and physical health. Let's dive into these three solutions. The first way to learn to be more optimistic is to practice mindfulness. Mindfulness is, briefly, being engaged, attentive, and fully present in the current moment. Practicing mindfulness helps us focus on what matters most and prevents us from going down the unproductive circular path of rumination or worrying about the future or past or other aspects of our life that are truly out of our control. Mindfulness practices help us appreciate what we have and feel less focused on regrets and feelings of anxiousness. If you're like I used to be with major monkey brain where I struggled to achieve quiet reflection on my own, there is no shortage of free guided mindfulness meditations on YouTube to get you started. 
let's look at some interesting statistics about mindfulness meditations. It is estimated that two to 500 million people around the globe practice regular mindfulness. Women are 4.3% more likely to practice mindfulness than men. 89% of students who practice mindfulness reported improved emotional regulation. 100% of patients suffering from insomnia reported improved sleep habits after engaging in mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness meditation has been proven to increase creativity and improve our recall memory. 80% of patients with hypertension were able to decrease their blood pressure through mindfulness meditation. And infertile women were able to achieve a 42% increase in their conception rate. Mindfulness meditation has also been shown to lower dependencies on alcohol, cigarettes, and the usage of other recreational drugs. Mindfulness meditation practices are linked to a greater amount of gray matter in the hippocampus and the frontal areas of the brain. If you recall, the hippocampus is primarily responsible for long-term memory storage, so it makes sense that mindfulness can improve our functional memory. You might also recall that the frontal areas of the brain, which is where our personality lives, where emotions, problem-solving, reasoning, planning, and other aspects of executive function are managed. So if this area of the brain helps us think and determine how to use the other areas of the brain to our benefit, it's no wonder we can improve so much of our cognitive abilities through dedicated regular mindfulness practices. This is an exercise that we can easily do at any time during the day, especially if we feel we are getting caught up in our thoughts. There are no shortage of mindfulness practices to explore. A simple one that helped me get started is called Notice Five Things, which I'll share here briefly for you. It goes like this. Pause for a few seconds and take five slow, deep breaths, noticing the air and how it feels as it travels in and out of your body. Now, look around and notice and name five things you can see. Then note five things you can hear and then five things you can feel in contact with your body. For example, your backside against the chair, the cool air gently caressing your face, the feel of the fabric of your clothes on your skin, or your feet set firmly on the ground. Follow these observations by taking five more slow and deliberate breaths. It's really that easy. Check out YouTube or do a Google search and you'll discover lengthy lists of mindfulness activities to help us all find mindfulness opportunities that are of personal interest. The second proven avenue to build learned optimism is to practice gratitude. Gratitude is defined as a practice of appreciation for the things we value most in life. There is no shortage of research proving that the simple practice of writing in a gratitude journal increases our optimism and resilience. When trying to increase our optimism, adopting a daily gratitude practice can help us better internalize an attitude of gratitude. 
There's a reason why I try to model gratitude by sharing some sort of personal gratitude in each episode. Research shows that just writing down a few positive thoughts each day shows strong correlation with improved mental well-being. This is also a really positive activity to do with family at night before bed or over breakfast in the morning. If you want to learn more about gratitude practices, and I hope you do since it's such a powerful strategy, the research and a plethora of ideas to get you started are shared in episode four, In Giving We Receive, The Gift That Keeps On Giving. Check it out. The third way to build intentional optimism is to engage in cognitive restructuring therapies. While many people report successfully doing this on their own, after researching and trying for a couple of years without quite reaching the level of success I was looking for, I decided I needed more guidance, and I've spent the last eight months working with a specialized anxiety therapist in tandem with a lot of personal research and concurrent neuroplasticity journaling to get myself reoriented toward optimism in new ways. This incredibly helpful type of therapy teaches us to become more naturally optimistic by first becoming tuned into our internal negative broadcasting system, and then learning to challenge those negative and self-limiting thinking patterns, ultimately replacing them with more optimistic thought patterns. To do this, we started by identifying situational life experiences that triggered negative thoughts or mood. Once we know how to identify these negative triggers, we can catch them earlier and earlier, and eventually they become old thought patterns that we revisit less and less over time. It's important when we notice our personal negativity triggers to take a deep breath and assess how we're feeling and what we're thinking. In doing so, we can more easily identify and label these negative thoughts as just a reaction to the situation and dive deeper into their relevance. To do this, we looked at my personal distorted thoughts tendencies. Some examples of distorted thoughts are black and white thinking, catastrophizing, overgeneralizations, discounting the positive, the spectrum from 100% blaming others to personalization where we place 100% of the blame on ourselves, the fallacy of control over our lives, and so forth. Once we identify our personal distorted thoughts, then we look at the evidence that will either support or refute our negative thoughts. This reflective and investigative process helps us focus on facts objectively and over time replace our automatic negative thoughts and worst case scenario tendencies with more realistic and positive thought patterns. At some point, when we no longer have a client-patient relationship, my anxiety coach has agreed to be a guest on the podcast to share more deeply about this life-changing therapy. If you can't wait, you can find an anxiety coach with a profile that is a good match for you and your personal mental health vulnerabilities by visiting anxietycenter.com. They are out of Canada, so center is spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. Before we end for the day, I want to quickly address the potential negative side of optimism. 
Sometimes, albeit rarely, we can feel so optimistic that it could be detrimental to us. For example, if we experience what experts refer to as optimism bias. Optimism bias is when we underestimate legitimate risks because we are allowing ourselves to be blinded by our excessive optimism. Engaging in risky behaviors, for example, because we are powered by extreme optimism or an it-won't-happen-to-me attitude, which could lead us to ignore potential very real risks. Or we might, for example, allow our optimism bias to grossly underestimate the cost of a remodel or new vehicle, or to sign up for a credit card with a high APR, or apply for a loan we can't possibly pay off and end up in a financial hole. One interesting study shows that extreme optimists typically have shorter-term financial horizons, so optimism bias might lead us to saving less over time for our future. Another study showed that young boys in general display a larger amount of optimism bias, which has been shown to be a contributory factor to accidental injuries, which is a leading cause of death in male children. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is when we overvalue positive feelings while concurrently ignoring or even repressing any negative feelings. This can also cause folks to inadvertently, even with the best intentions, invalidate the struggles others are experiencing during challenging times. Most of us, as people living with chronic illness, have been on the hurting end of this. When we share, for example, about our debilitating MS fatigue and we're met with a, oh, I'm tired too, you'll get over it, or other well-intentioned but hurtful statements that inadvertently diminish our very real struggles. Toxic positivity is the belief that we should engage in a good vibes only approach to life or only talk about positive things. By discounting the real challenges we face in life, this false facade can deteriorate our mental health. This is one reason, for example, that at support groups, we are largely encouraged to share our hardships rather than keep them bottled up inside. It's what comes next after we share our hardships, though, that is really important. A skilled support group leader will help a group learn to listen with empathy, share mirroring experiences to build camaraderie, and then gently shift the conversation to a place of solutions orientation. This doesn't invalidate the pain, but rather does ensure we leave the support group meeting in a better place than when we entered the room. This is a really important distinction because, as we know for sure, life isn't always sunny skies, rainbows, and puppies. While phrases like, just stay positive, look on the bright side, or everything happens for a reason, are meant to be sympathetic. When we are in a place of real suffering, these words tend to come across as, hmm, let's just say less than helpful. One popular phrase that optimist researchers argue about is the phrase, happiness is a choice which suggests to some that feeling negative emotions is our choice and therefore it's our own fault for not choosing to be happy. 
Most researchers agree it's more nuanced than that because scientific evidence does show that we can increase our happiness. But what optimism champions and mental health researchers largely agree on is that it's important as humans that we embrace the full spectrum of feelings and truly feel all the feels. They advise that we not hide from our feelings, discount them, bottle them up inside, or push them under the proverbial rug. We should encourage ourselves and others to feel the hurt and the pain and the disappointment without any shame or blame. And then, at some point in the healing process, the timeline, which varies highly for each individual, we do have a choice. We can continue to wallow in our misery, or we can slowly and gently practice more mindfulness, gratitude, and cognitive restructuring therapies to build ourselves back up over time. Whether we want to admit it or not, much growth comes from navigating challenges, and if we remain in a pessimistic place for too long, we do deny ourselves the opportunity for growth and deeper insight into ourselves. Toxic positivity can also live in behaviors like brushing off problems rather than facing them, hiding or disguising how we really feel because we feel shame about our feelings, minimizing other people's feelings because it makes us uncomfortable to see them in distress, or trying to be stoic and forcing our way out of experiencing painful emotions too quickly. If any of these common toxic positivity pitfalls sound familiar, here are some quick tips to help. One, manage negative emotions without denying them. If allowed to fester like an open wound too long, they can cause further problems. But honestly, sitting with our emotions for a while in times of hardship can lead to beneficial shifts and growth. Two, be okay with feeling complex emotions or even emotions that feel contradictory at times. It's okay to feel nervous, sad, and hopeful all at the same time. Experiencing complex emotions are a natural part of being a human. Number three, be okay with others expressing difficult emotions. Let them know you're there to listen and that how they are feeling is normal. Mirroring in empathetic ways can be therapeutic and build deeper, meaningful connection in relationships. And number four, maintain a healthy and realistic approach to positivity. Rather than trying to stay positive and ignore competing emotions, mental health experts agree the best approach is to try to look on the bright side while still wholeheartedly acknowledging the very real challenges at hand. By striving for realistic and healthy optimism, we can help more than harm, both ourselves and others. By pursuing optimism and infusing more optimism into our daily lives, we hold tremendous potential for improving the human condition that is our individual life experience. I hope that after listening to this episode, we all, one, understand the incredible healing power of hope and optimism and how they can be a powerful intention to guide us this year. Two, that we take some time in the coming days to further reflect upon our own optimistic and pessimistic tendencies to see where there are opportunities for personal growth and better optimism hygiene. 
Three, that we each choose something as our intention, anchor, guide, motto, or companion to walk with us this year as a constant reminder of what we'd most like to achieve in 2022. And four, that we continue to support one another in our times of need this year. If you're struggling, reach out. None of us are alone on this journey, and there's no reason to suffer in isolation. Our next Misunderstood Flock meeting will be Saturday, February 5th. At the Flock meeting, we'll discuss this episode and other episodes released this month and spend time together supporting one another as we all strive to live well with MS. If you're not yet a Flock member but would like to be, join us. We're a small group of really cool and caring people living with MS that meet via Zoom the first Saturday of each month. You can learn more and join us by visiting patreon.com slash msflock. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life this year with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, Happy New Year, and be well.